What's the guy call his best friends? His testies besties, of course. Halloween is right around the corner and you don't want to spook someone with your scary bush. Our friends at Manscaped want to help make your boys downstairs clean and best friends of their own. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-waist grooming and offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. You might be Chewbacca, Bigfoot, or Harry Bear, but it's what's under the costume that really matters. I've been a werewolf for Halloween in the past, and as hairy as I looked, you can be damn sure I was manscaping under all that flannel. Don't be that hairy guy. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Inside the Perfect Package, you'll find their electric trimmer called the Lawnmower 3.0. This waterproof and skin-safe trimmer will reduce nicks to your pumpkins. You can also create less mess by trimming in the shower or using their Magic Mat disposable shaving mats. And of course, let's not forget about the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? The Perfect Package 3.0 also includes anti-chafing performance boxer briefs that keep your package cool and smelling fresh all day. For on-the-go freshness, you'll love the Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray. It's time to get clean and mean with this Perfect Package 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Stay sexy this Halloween. Your balls will thank you. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscaped.com. And use code PHL. Trick or treat keep your balls neat you are listening to garbage into gold part of phl sports nation my name is jesse larch i will be joined momentarily by my co-host brandon apter on this episode of garbage into gold we'll discuss the reports going around involving the nba starting on december 22nd of this year an article from the athletic that ranks Embiid and ben simmons And we'll also talk about Doc Rivers' one-on-one interview with Brian Seltzer from the Sixers website. Enjoy listening. As always, like, rate, subscribe. Thank you for listening and enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold. You've already been introduced to my smooth-talking co-host, Jesse Larch. So I'm the other member of the Garbage Into Gold uh, hosting team, Brandon Apter, uh, ready to talk some Sixers basketball. Before we get to that, in case you don't already know, Jesse, I'm not sure if you mentioned it in your little intro, which was pretty spot on. Halloween coming up, very, very on theme. I'm proud of you. Um, But I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but in addition to the great deal on Manscaped products, 20% off plus free shipping, ladies and gentlemen that are listening, make sure that you get your garbage into gold merchandise because it's now available. Long sleeve tee, short sleeve, you know, we're just going in the winter. They got hoodies too. You can visit bit.ly backslash G-I-G shop and get yours today. I think uh, t-shirts start as low as $20, something like that. So 
support the pod. Appreciate everybody that's supported it so far. Jesse, how are you doing this evening? We're recording here on Sunday evening. Uh, no depression of a Sunday Eagles loss, so I feel like uh, we'll be in relatively high spirits for the most part during this one. Even better than an Eagles win on a Sunday is a Cowboys loss. Yeah, 25-3. So, yeah, I mean, the hit, that hit on Andy Dalton was definitely a cheap shot, so that's not fun. Yeah. But just in general, the Cowboys losing is always a good way to spend the Sunday. Yeah, um, I think there were a lot of uh, – I only tuned into Red Zone for a, a few minutes, but it seemed like the Atlanta-Detroit game, the Bengals-Browns game were both, like, spectacular endings. Yeah. Um, a lot of – a lot of fireworks to end week. They're the one o'clock slate. I actually have the Patriots Niners game on, which isn't really much of a game. Um, you know, Cam Newton just got benched, so there's that. Um, any of our listeners in the New England area, I would say I'm sorry, but you're also probably a Celtics fan, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. that's all I have to say. This on is that. an anti This is an anti-Celtics podcast. It's a Sixers podcast. If you don't like the language, or you're a Celtics fan, you can. You know where the door is. It's the exit the podcast button. Whatever. Yeah, do the little do the little swipe up and then swipe away the podcast app thing to close us. But before you do, bit.ly slash gig shop, support our merchandise, and then you can burn it. It's good. You can burn it and, you know, have a good fireplace material, too, if you're a Celtics fan. You know, we're, we just need the support. Yeah, I don't care what you do with it once you buy it. Um, you mentioned fireworks, lots of fireworks in the NFL Sunday slate. Uh, some big fireworks coming out of the NBA uh, this past week as the League Board of Governors met and discussed the possibility of the NBA returning as early as December the 22nd. And, I mean, it feels like the finals just ended like a week ago. So it feels kind of quick, and we'll get into that. But just to put that into timeline, this would be a really, really crazy turn of events of how things can go. So it would be a 72-game season. Uh, players would be able to finish in time uh, for the Olympics. They'd be able to participate in the Olympics. Those are initiate uh, those that are uh, invited. Uh, but the draft is November 18th. Free agency starts after the draft, as of right now, and then you'd have a season starting on December the 22nd. So imagine all of that happening within a little bit over a month, with regard to like team chemistry. You know, some teams haven't played since. Um, pre-bubble NBA action, which was what, like March? March? I guess it was March. So some haven't played since March. A couple, you know, went to the bubble and didn't make the playoffs. A couple like the Sixers uh, got swept in the playoffs. So I think it's going to benefit and possibly be a disadvantage for some teams. But I guess for you, looking at it, aside from, yeah, I want the NBA back soon, do you think this is a good idea or a bad idea? Um, I mean, you see outdoor sports allowing fans in, you know, with like soccer games and football games. I'm not because I know Adam Silver's like sticking point is he wanted to return once fans could return. And I'm curious if that means the NBA thinks that fans will be allowed back in stadiums in some capacity by then, Um, which maybe we're trending towards that. I'm not really sure. 
that's like the big thing. Like, are they going to create another bubble? Are they going to travel from city to city and kind of do what baseball and the NFL have been doing with just constant testing and like forcing players to isolate and not allowing players to really be social? Um, it's there's a lot of a lot of gray area with this. It's not a clear cut answer. You know, I obviously it's best for business to return to the court as soon as possible, you know, to try to get to any level of normalcy that you can, especially with, um, you know, if they can get the season in and end it around the time a season traditionally ends and get the league schedule back on track, I think that's a big advantage. Overall, though, like, I'm not, I'm not sure what the players are going to vote. I'm not really sure that this is even what the NBA wants, just based off the things Adam Silver has said publicly. Um, I was really surprised to see that they said December 22nd to come back. Yeah. Another factor is they moved the draft back to November, and if you start December 22nd, these guys get a month, which probably not much camp, no summer league. Yeah. Like, it's going to be a really strange year for rookies, too. I mean, uh, there, I feel like there's going to be a lot of pressure on coaches as, if this happens, too, because there's rookies uh, with the pressure that you mentioned. And again, teams that are going to add via free agency, they're not going to have a whole lot of time to really adjust prior to that season to, to December 22nd. And uh, I, what you mentioned best for business uh, in the athletic article, the December 22nd start date versus a later date would be more than a 500 million difference. Uh, with regard to, you know, money between the teams, you know, potential income for the league, whether it has to do with sponsorship, fan attendance, or, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think for me, I, I think that it would be a good idea just because I'd be interested to see how it would work. I don't think that uh, it's a great idea for players that maybe are, you know, not, able to do that quick turnaround ones that were you know Miami and and LA you know might they rest LeBron and like Jimmy Butler probably not Jimmy Butler because he wakes up at 5 a.m and is in the gym by 5 30 sort of thing but you have to wonder uh, if load management would become much more of a thing for guys like that and even guys like Joel Embiid who have not been on the court for a little while um so I think it would have an effect on coaching. I think it would have effect on the players. I would be very, very surprised if the Players Association accepted this as it is. I still think mid-January and January is uh, where we're going to end up. But I also thought that the NBA was never going to come back at all. So I, I, what do I know? Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm sure the money is going to be a huge factor, and I'm sure the owners will be pushing the players to accept the deal. Um, the load management, like I'm sure the teams that are like the Lakers and the teams that are pretty much playoff teams, regardless that like, as long as they get healthy lineups out there, they're going to win enough games to get in. They'll probably be more likely to rest players. Um, other than that, I mean, it's really like, it's just all unventured territory. So it's kind of like, I mean, the NBA did such a good job with the bubble. Yeah, that I almost would support them on whatever they do right now, just because they did show so much caution and put so much research into it. 
Um, right. So I would imagine they'd have the same level of diligence with whatever transpires here and whatever they decide to do to restart or to start next season. So, like, I think I'll just kind of reserve the criticism just because they've already shown us how well they're equipped to deal with this. So kind of just let them deal with it again and see where it goes. Like, like Rob Manfred totally botched the MLB season. If yeah. you ask me, um, Adam Silver was the complete opposite. Yeah, I think Major League Baseball looked very bad at the beginning, but I think by the end, especially like now at least, I think there have been like 50 or 60 days without a positive test since like the early outbreaks. And and luckily, uh, like nobody passed or was seriously ill from it either. Yeah. Um, now I asked you whether you thought it was going to be a good idea or a bad idea, but what about for the Sixers specifically? Because... You know, I, I, as I look at it, you know, you have the draft. Uh, ideally, they're they're still picking where they're picking, uh, and and don't trade that pick unless it's a really good deal. Uh, free agency starting after that. Um, we know the players that they have already. We don't know what moves they're going to make. But does I feel like everybody's going to be on quick decision making, and I feel like that does not necessarily favor the Sixers. But how do you think that it can hurt and help them if the restart is December twenty two? I'm really not sure it does. I think they, you know, you got a new coach. There's likely going to be, well, maybe not likely going to be, but definitely with the new coaching staff trying to figure out a very, you know, troublesome roster. And I mean troublesome in the terms of fit, not in the terms of personality. It's like, that's just not enough time to figure it out. Like if they were starting December, I would definitely expect a very disjointed return to the coin court for the Sixers I think they would uh they would struggle a lot early on and as Doc Rivers settles in and gets to like get more time with the team you may see things develop in a positive direction but yeah I would I would have low expectations of the Sixers at the start of the restart because of that yeah I wonder if uh I didn't (laughs) I didn't look to see the exact phraseology but I wonder if uh there would be any sort of preseason and again all the camps would have to be adjusted and and yeah i mean it's it's kind of crazy sitting here at the end of october october 25th thinking in two months we could be at the start of the nba season like that just seems crazy considering that it just ended only a few short weeks ago with the bubble but um yeah i I think it could uh, help the Sixers with regard to just kind of getting out there and playing with the new coach. And there's, I would be shocked if there was not at least a couple of moves that are going to shape how uh, different rotations look and everything like that. But um, I think that, you know, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Al Horford, who was nursing an injury a lot of the year, uh, I think by this point they should be able to be over those things to get back on the court. But I think due to the turnover the Sixers have had over the past few years, having that small window to try and create chemistry with a team that clearly didn't have much last year is, is probably not going to help them. So I, I would, I would push it back. Like for me, for the Sixers, I think I'd rather them start in Jan mid late January. Um, but I'd be certainly interested to see how the entire league would make a December 22nd start work. So, 
Yeah. Doesn't doesn't leave much time for the arenas to really uh plan like procedures or anything either. Yeah. You well, know, I would imagine the, they probably the, I would imagine a lot of them might already have that in place. I even mean as far as like not that there's many events going on right now, but like you know, especially teams that share facilities with like an NHL team. If the NBA like beats them to the punch there, they might just mess up the NHL's start to their season as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, you know, I mean, I would have to say at least half of the teams in the NBA share an arena with an NHL team. Yeah. Um, without looking it up. But, you know, I would figure that's about the range it's in. So, like, that would cause right away scheduling issues for the NHL if the NBA beats them to the punch. Um, you know, and then if I don't think concerts, indoor concerts are coming back anytime soon, but. You know, if they were to, like, that would be another thing to consider. So for these arenas in terms of hosting things, they've just been closed. So, like, I don't even know if they have their staff available or things like that. It's just, yeah, it puts it puts everything on a really quick clock. There are a lot of factors that you don't consider uh, when you start thinking about that. That's a really good point I didn't even think about. So good on you for that. Yeah, I'm a smart guy. Um, so before we get to our next topic, why don't we take a quick break and hear about Anchor? All right, welcome back. So the next topic that we have to talk about, uh, skimming the athletics, sometimes I just find myself doing that. Uh, I stumbled across some, some new rankings. It wasn't really power rankings or anything like this, but the athletics staff and you know, the athletic has become one of those uh, you know, the nexus of where to get your sports news. It's no longer ESPN. You know, the athletic is, is where, at least for the Sixers, where I go to look at the vast majority of the news and the in-depth stuff. So uh, I went to the just the NBA head page and saw that they were uh, ranking players by tiers, but there was a lot behind it. Um, for, for those of you that's not heard of this tier ranking, um, it, pretty much they assign tier players to tiers based on a lot of different things. Uh, they started with uh, holistic metrics, uh, multi-year versions of regularized adjusted uh, plus minus and player impact plus minus uh, adjusted up or down based on contextual factors, playoff performances and insights from knowledgeable people in a variety of media, public analytics and team side roles. Uh, ultimately, it was primarily their best judgment ra- uh, weighing those factors and, and input. So uh, obviously you have like the, the tier one, everybody in their head, like when you think of the top players in the league right now, you think of Giannis, you think of LeBron, you think of James Harden um, and, and those kind of, and Kawhi. So those are kind of like the tier one of players. And so they have tier one, and then they have like tier two, A, B, and C, tier three, A, B, and C. Um, and uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, obviously, in these tiers, as they are some of the uh, youngest superstars in the league and up and coming superstars, and, and some of the most polarizing, if you ask me. So uh, Joel Embiid was ranked as a tier B player by the Athletics' Seth Partner. Um, Hope I'm getting that name right. If I'm not, I'm sorry, Seth, if you're listening to this. Uh, So his thing on Embiid was, quote, if we're tiering players, I don't think there's much of a case statistical or otherwise to put Embiid in the top tier of franchise performers. Embiid is firmly in the next group down 
where you find players like Nikola Jokic and Damian Lillard with those on the ascent, such as Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, and Devin Booker arguing for inclusion. So Embiid in his 2B tier was grouped with Jimmy Butler and Damian Lillard, um, and the tier right above that had Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, and uh, Nikola Jokic. Now, I know you didn't get to look much at these tier rankings, but seeing who he's grouped with, Jimmy Butler, Damian Lillard, you know, behind guys like Luka and Nikola Jokic, who we, I mean, we talk about Jokic versus Embiid a lot when it comes to just who's the better player. Uh, So I agree personally with the fact that he's not in that top tier, especially after this past year, you know, there was a lot... um, being questioned with with regard to how much effort he was giving if he was himself obviously uh his uh girlfriend was pregnant with their now child uh so a lot going on with him there but uh what are your thoughts on on Embiid kind of being ranked with Jimmy Butler and Damian Lillard should he be above Jokic or what are your what are your thoughts I wouldn't put him above Jokic right now after the way Jokic just played in the playoffs and after the way uh, Embiid was even bad in the playoffs because he was kind of a man on his own. But Jokic, I think, clearly had more impact on the games and did more to win games for his team. Um, and, I, I mean, really, I think Jokic kind of... that was That's been the bit of the debate for the last two years. And I think Jokic put the debate to bed with the playoffs this year that he is the best big man in the NBA. Um, so I don't have a problem with Embiid not being on Jokic's level in, in a, on a list like that. Um, yeah, I, I really can't argue with the same thing you were saying. Like, Embiid just didn't – he wasn't the same guy that had us all talking about him as being an elite player. Yeah, and it's funny because like a year or so ago when Anthony Davis was in New Orleans, I feel like Embiid – got the better of those matchups, but watching firsthand Anthony Davis in the playoffs and in the finals for the Lakers, like it's, it's really not a comparison. Like again, Joel Embiid is very good in his own, in his own ways, but still, still not close to really what Anthony Davis is in terms of skill set. I don't think. No, I wouldn't. I mean, I think Embiid's better than Anthony Davis still. I'm not exactly a fan of Anthony Davis, though. Again, Davis, too, though, played maybe the best I've seen him play in the playoffs right this past year. So, Yeah, yeah I think that would have to go. I mean, I think that's one thing that they take into consideration. Is Yeah, if, if we're talking, like, last impressions, like, you know, recency bias, then, yeah, I'd agree with that. Right. Um, my thing is every time Embiid plays up against Jokic or Davis, he usually dominates them. Yeah. So that's like the hard part as as far as being a Sixers fan. But in terms of overall consistency, yeah, you have to put the other two over Embiid right now. Yeah, so Embiid, Butler, Lillard in the 2B tier. The 2C tier right below them uh, had Chris Paul, Jason Tatum, Paul George, and Rudy Gobert, uh, who did not have a great season really uh, and is a guy that is – I feel like almost always ranked at or above Embiid's skill level, which I always find to be a little bit ridiculous. Uh, he's a good player, but I, I don't think he's in the same level. But Which player is that, Gobert? Yeah, Gobert. Yeah, I'm not a, I think Gobert's 
extremely overrated. I think what he what he does, he does at an elite level, but extremely one dimensional player. Yeah. Um, so tier three A uh, is where Ben Simmons lands uh, in a group with players like Bam Adebayo, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker. Draymond Green, Jamal Murray, Drew Holiday, Carl Anthony Towns, Kemba Walker, Chris Middleton, Kyle Lowry, and Kyrie Irving. So a lot of different skill sets of players there, uh, some uh, being around the same size and athleticism as Ben. But uh, what they said about Ben for this was, quote, discussions of weaknesses with Simmons always start and usually end with jump shot, and that's a dead horse that doesn't need to be beaten here any further what is less discussed is his way his poor free throw shooting seems to influence his aggressiveness around the rim for a player with his physical gifts who takes as many shots in the restricted area as he does he doesn't get to the line much especially compared to players with similar size and athletic profiles uh, like bam Adebayo, blake griffin and Giannis. Um, and again we already mentioned the people that he's he's grouped with uh, r- right below Ben, yeah, you have a tier with Donovan Mitchell, Ja Morant, Jalen Brown, Clay Thompson, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Pascal Siakam, Russell Westbrook, Trey Young, and Zion Williamson. So Simmons, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people look over because you see that jump shot thing. Like We're all so focused on that, and I think that it's still a big part of what needs to happen in order for them to be successful. Um, but magnifying his poor free throw shooting uh you know as as a way to limit his aggressiveness wasn't really a way i had looked at it before but i I can see how that would make him a little more passive because we've seen him before like drive to the lane and instead of going in and trying to get fouled he passes it out yeah and then they don't get a chance to reset their offense or, or anything like that so um what are your thoughts on I don't even know your thoughts, but it's just like you, you kind of heard what I said with regard to his weaknesses and everything. So I guess uh, what are your takeaways for how he's ranked, who he's ranked with? I mean, I, I'm i a huge Ben Simmons fan, so I don't want to agree with it, but I think the points made are pretty valid. And just like you, I hadn't considered that in terms of his aggressiveness that he's conscious of his inability to make free throws where he doesn't attack the rim. Um, yeah, I mean, I really can't get too angry about either one of them. You know, the Sixers underachieved in a lot of different areas last year. And, you know, those rankings, I think, reflect that, where if it was the year prior, they both might be up a tier from where they're at. Hmm. Yeah. So, so I'm not... I'm not upset about those rankings. I, you know, I, I do believe in, especially like, you know, I was talking to someone about it the other day about how Philly fans boo their own and how great it was that I, how great I thought it was that the Eagles were when they were pumping in crowd noise actually pumped in booze when the Eagles themselves made bad plays. And yeah. like, <laughs> like the Eagles themselves were booing their own players. Yeah. But I do agree with that mentality that, you know, they are open to criticism. That's, you know, if they don't achieve, it should be discussed. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't hang on to the three great games Embiid had last year. You know, we should understand that it's all of them. Like, we know he's capable of having a monster game. 
but there's also plenty of games where he comes up short. Yeah. And you know, it's the whole picture. It's not just the highlights. You got to you got to take into account the whole picture. And I think this article definitely does that. Uh, you know, it sounds pretty fair to me. That's must pretty much my takeaway from that. So, uh Embiid and Simmons are, were not the only two players that ended up in these tiers. They did five tiers, I believe. Um so if you had to guess uh, where on the tiers, um, you know, we've seen it's five, it's four, three, A, B, C, sort of like that. Uh, so where do you think Tobias Harris lands on that list? I'll say 5A. So Tobias Harris is actually 4A, uh, really? grouped with players including uh, Gordon Hayward, Gordon uh, Drogic, uh, Van Vliet, Sabanis, Derek Rose, Demo- uh, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Marcus Smart, Nikola Vucevic, and uh, one of your favorites, Robert Covington. So he's grouped in with those guys. Well, it makes me very happy that Covington's grouped with those players. Um, yeah. But I would probably put... Um, I lost the names you just said. Uh, what's it called? Marcus Smart, uh, Brogdon's also there, John Wall, Hayward, Drogic, uh, Fred Van Vliet, Sabonis, Derek Rose, DeMar DeRozan... Aaron Fox, Gallinari is there. It was it was DeRozan and Vucevic. I would not. I would have above Tobias Harris pretty easily. Yeah. Um. Everyone. They have else, Zion as a three B, which I think is pretty. Uh, it's a disservice to Nikola Vucevic. I think. It's also like unfair to Zion, as, yeah. as good as he was in his first few games. Like, let's let the guy do it for more than ten games first. Yeah. Um, and then Al Horford and Josh Richardson also on here uh, in the 5A tier uh, with players like Jonathan Isaac, Gary Harris, Eric Gordon, uh, DeAndre Ayton also in there, Clint Capella, Buddy Heald. Ayton, Ayton is so much better than both of them right now. Uh, Blake Griffin also in there. Blake better than both <laughs> of them right now. Um, but I think, again, it's a lot more than what they currently look like. I think it's based on a lot more analytics than I care to get into at this yeah, hour. Um, no, I, I think they were fair to Embiid and Simmons. And it sounds like, it sounds to me like they were definitely like using a lot more recency bias with Embiid and Simmons. And then to let Horford be on this list. Um, after last year, I don't really don't really agree with that too much, but I'm also a bitter Sixers fan, so <laughs> It'll that happen. probably plays a part into it. All right, so the last thing that we have to discuss, um, new 76ers head coach Doc Rivers had a one-on-one sit-down with Brian wait, Seltzer. Go, wait, go ahead. The, six, the Sixers hired a new coach? Yeah. We did an wow. emergency pod two episodes ago. Yeah, I thought I thought this would be funnier, but yeah, sorry, I was trying to go with it. Now, now we all just get to. I'm not editing suffer. it out. I'm not editing it out. I mean, it's yeah, not happening. We all just we all just suffer through the poor sense of humor. That's all right. So anyway, like I was saying, Doc Rivers, uh, new hire. Congrats, Doc. Um, I sat down with Sixers.com's Brian Seltzer for a one-on-one. And uh, a lot of things were discussed. Very light on the basketball talk uh, with relation to the team. And again, he's only been on this job a a few short weeks. 
uh, started off talking about golfing. Jesse, I don't know if you're a golfer. Uh, Doc Rivers is a golfer. He's not a good golfer, but loves golfing. And I could not resonate with that. Um, so right off the bat, I wasn't really a big fan of this interview because I don't see how people could enjoy golf and not be at least slightly above mediocre at it because I get so pissed by how bad I am at golf. So you're golfing wrong because now I've only played 18 holes once. Um, I, I just started trying to pick up golf like last summer, like not this, this past summer, the one prior. And I can't hit driver to save my life. I can't putt unless it's a mini golf course. I'm good at mini golf. Um, my iron play is pretty good. That's about all I have going for me. But the secret to having a good time on the golf course has nothing to do with golfing. It's all about knowing where the beer cart is and keeping yourself you know, nice and hydrated throughout the day. The, so. the best golf swing that I had was when I worked for the Charlotte Stone Crabs in uh, Southwest Florida, high A affiliate for the Rays, go Rays, World Series. Uh, anyway, uh, we partnered with a local golf place, golf course. I don't know why I can't think of the word. We, we partnered with a local golf club and got to shoot a video there to promote golf night at the ballpark. So... You know, I drew the short straw and got to be the mascot for this video and got to get trained by a golf pro on how to golf as a mascot. And one of my big issues with golf is I look up before I'm supposed to, but with the mascot mouth, it doesn't really give you the opportunity to look up, one, because it's heavy, and two, because, like, the the vision is limited. So I hit a straight-on, like, 120, 130-yard thing with a mascot costume and I, you know i've never been the same since tried going to top golf or something after that and it just never stuck with me i mean like i said you got to be drunk if you're yeah. not drunk golf's not fun fair enough like, so like I'm, I'm someone who finds great joy in watching soccer on television Ugh. i cannot watch golf on tv i do not i understand can't watch either sit there i know you can't watch either but i'm saying like me being someone a little more cultured than you. Sure. Oh, I went I went there. Sure. Um, but no, like the fact that I see like, all the music that you post on your Instagram story, man. You're not cultured. Some good there's some good songs. You should probably listen to them. Give me a break. Give me a break. Some really good stuff, dude. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I know people struggle to watch soccer because of the boredom level. Um and like I, I can see where people feel that way. But I enjoy soccer, and I'm basically saying I enjoy the boredom of soccer. I can't even fathom enjoying the boredom of watching golf. Yeah, me either. My roommate that I lived with in in Port Charlotte, big golf watcher, never understood it. Yeah. Um, So moving on from golf, uh, some notes from the doc video included Brian Seltzer asking what he liked from what Doc liked watching from the other sideline with regard to the Sixers. Uh, He liked their size and versatility. Uh, Said Joel Embiid has the skill set of a 3, 4, and a 5. So I thought the size and versatility was... And again, I'm taking kind of all of this with a grain of sand because we only played them twice, maybe, uh, given he's seen these guys over over the years. Um, So he mentioned size and versatility... 
um, and talked about how much he likes positionless teams, and that's what he uh, appealed to him with this job. Aside from Joel Embiid being the five, uh, everything else is in flux with positioning. So uh, he also went through and talked about um, how the job came together. Uh, the Sixers called him, flew him in within 48 hours of him getting fired, and then within 24 hours of them meeting, uh, was offered a job. So I know we may have covered this in like on our, our emergency pod. I couldn't recall, but uh, I was thinking, you know, was this too fast a decision and was it more a good fit, do you think? Um, or do you think that it was a combination of good fit and Sixers ownership just kind of wanting a big name? I would say the second. Um, I'm going to not put it past the Sixers to be paying attention to their mentions on social media. And I, I mean, when the reports were coming out that Ty Lue had been offered the job and that Mike D'Antoni was in the lead, Sixers Twitter was largely, largely disapproved of both of those moves. I would say Ty Lue, not as much D'Antoni. Definitely. Um, but both were met with significant resistance. And I feel like as soon as Doc Rivers was let go by the Clippers, it was just almost, not everyone, but almost everyone in agreement that he was the guy the Sixers needed to go get. Yeah. So in that sense, um, did the Sixers do the right thing to jump on it? Time will tell. But in terms of optics and in terms of the move that most pleased the fan base, I think they definitely did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. I think the Sixers were c- concerned a little bit with how the fan reaction would be. Yeah. Especially in a climate where fan support is going to be super crucial because team revenues going to depend on merchandise and television ratings. And if you do get fans back in, you have to have a product that fans are interested in. So I think that's certainly a major stakeholder that played a factor. I also, I mean, I'm, I was one of the people saying they need to go get Doc Rivers because he's someone who's, he's won in multiple cities. He also is known as one of the consummate good guys in basketball. You know, much to the way we say how there's not a person in the league with a bad thing to say about Brett. Yeah. Like, Doc Rivers was that guy tenfold. I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Doc Rivers. Yeah. And that to me, that speaks to leadership. Now, if he comes in and he's another guy that is the player's friend instead of their coach, like Brett was, you know, then we're going to regret that hire. But I don't think he's that guy. I think he does know how to toe the line between authority figure and between colleague. Um, and I think he does that masterfully. And I think that's what we're going to see with him with the Sixers. Yeah. Um, a couple of other notes from this. Doc mentioned with regard to culture, cooperation from the top to the bottom is what he believes to be a huge part of culture in addition to accountability. And and care was another word that he, he mentioned. Um, but the cooperation, everybody from the trainer to the, to the GM and everything – um, he believes that everybody needs to be on the same page in order to complete their goals. Uh, he said that the Sixers need to be at least top seventh in offense in order to win. 
they don't make any big roster moves, that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, the one thing that really stuck out to me was um, saying how much he enjoyed working with Tobias Harris. I know he's kind of had an up and down time, and he's always going to be at odds with that contract that he signed. Uh, but Doc says, quote, I really got him to understand who and what he was, end quote. Um, and that Tobias Thride having that freedom to be the player that he is. And I feel like Tobias is only going to get better with that. I know it's a different roster than what the Clippers had when Tobias was a Clipper. Um, but I feel like we we saw a lot of times that Brett Brown used players, not necessarily to their strengths, but how they fit his scheme. So it'll be interesting to see how Tobias thrives, hopefully thrives, uh, under Doc Rivers. Yeah, I, I think that was um, a factor few people thought about, like didn't even consider when we made the Doc Rivers hire. Everyone was just happy to have someone of Doc's pedigree. But I do think certainly that that's going to be something that really is just going to be invaluable to this team because essentially they're stuck with Tobias Harris at this point. So to get a coach who's familiar with him, who's really had Tobias Harris play the best basketball of his career, you know, it, it's one of the puzzle pieces already solved is the way I would look at it. And now he can kind of, he already knows what he has and that he knows what Tobias can do. He knows how to utilize Tobias. Now he can move on to the other things on the roster. So that's like, that's one less mountain to climb for Doc Rivers, which right. is another reason why I think it's a good hire. And yeah, the only other thing that I found to be noteworthy, not even really worth talking about in depth or anything, uh, he hopes to get the rest of his staff in place very soon, and then he um, wants to make sure he contacts everybody by phone, and then he wants to fly around to see the players and talk, you know, sit down, have dinner, talk about basketball and the vision he has. Uh, the one player he mentioned uh, that he's already talked to about visiting was Al Horford in Atlanta, so I don't know if that's great for the trade Al Horford folks unless him going down there is going to be like, well, Al, this has been a great conversation, but we're probably going to try to trade you. Um, and then in addition to that, um, he talked about what he likes on his coaching staff. Uh, as we already know, Dave Yeager is on his coaching staff. And Doc Rivers is somebody who thrives on live debate on his staff. And sometimes new coaches on his staff are uncomfortable with that, but he wants uh, honesty and fight from his coaches. And I think that you see uh, in some situations, um, you know, head coaches don't necessarily want to feel threatened. And Doc is a guy that kind of just wants the best minds or the best, the you know, the people he thinks have the best minds for, for the, the, task at hand and kind of puts them together and and make it makes it work so it's not only with the players that there will be more accountability but it seems like uh his, his coaching style with regard to uh how he leads his coaching staff is very different from brett brown because i, I know we had udoka and monty williams and mike d'antoni but um you had a first time head coach and brett brown over these guys well now you have doc rivers on a staff that is already going to have a, a former NBA head coach and, and could have former NBA assistant head coaches. So I'm excited to see how the staff works and how they um, build chemistry with the players. Yeah. Um, I think we said this during the emergency pod, I mean, with the episode after, but you know, every, every time I 
think about this higher, and even when we hear Doc's interviews and things like that, it's just an optimism I haven't felt with the Sixers really in about two or three years. Um, you know, he he just has a way about him that is very puts you at ease and lets you trust that he's going to do the things he needs to do to help this team win. Which with Brett, we obviously began to question a lot over the last two years. So I think he's just in the stability he he provides, like his presence just gives that team a certain a certain quality about them that they've really lacked in the sense that it's there's a clear leader, you know there's a there's definitely going to be a new culture put in. Um, the whole the whole environment around the team feels different to me just off hearing three maybe three interviews that Doc Rivers has done since he's been hired. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm uh again I'm excited. Uh we could be less than 2 months away from the return of the NBA, which is pretty wild. But yeah, that's that's going to wrap up this episode. Not a whole lot of uh Sixers ongoings to talk about. They made a couple of new additions to their front office which seem to be uh regarded around the league as very good additions. Um the guy that they brought in from Indiana, I believe, I was listening to Sixers Beat with Derek Bodner and uh, Rich Hoffman in the car today. Uh, one of my favorite one, Sixers podcasts to, to listen to because they're both athletic writers and do really good work. Um, and uh, they were talking about the hirings of the guy from Indiana and the other guy, Prosper. I can't pronounce his last name, but it seems like they're at least making a good effort to to put, like, good people around Elton. Yeah, the guy from the Pacers uh, is going to be Elton's second in charge pretty much. And uh, he worked his way up from essentially group sales into the basketball operations department. So uh, it sounds like we'll have some innovative minds and some basketball minds at well. And hopefully it, it all mends well, Jesse, hopefully it all mends well, but it's Philadelphia. So I don't really know what to expect. You know, probably the worst, but for the time being, we don't have to face it. We have at least until December 22nd where we can live in a world where the Sixers are undefeated, you know? Yeah. So they'll let us down eventually, but not right this second. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Garbage Into Gold. Um, if you're not already doing so, please uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Garbage Into Gold. We're available on all of the favorite podcast platforms you can find our merchandise at bit.ly backslash gig shop and uh thank you to our supporters that have supported us so far big shout out to those folks so uh thanks again for tuning in everybody and we'll catch you next week on another episode of garbage in a gold <laughs>